You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Alpha Burley Pro, it is a 100% top-to-bottom waterproof boot. They're perfect for the style of hunting that is done this time of year, whether you're a waterfowl hunter or walking through some swamps to get to your favorite tree stand. Check out the Alpha Burley Pro. They come in a variety of camo options and insulation options go visit lacrossefootwear.com lacrosse boots done right since 1897 welcome to land of legacy podcast this is your host adam key and matt die and we are doing part two of our hunting podcast uh our part two on the hunting podcast of bedding areas. Now, we did part one, defining bedding areas and giving the advice on how to lay out the bedding areas, how to create the bedding areas, what to do in open country, what to do in timber country. Hopefully, it helped. Um, and, and also, we talked about the importance of having those on the property and what they do for the entire landscape and not just the white-tailed deer, but many other species. This is the podcast where we discuss the hunting techniques involved with bedding areas. For sure. And that's crazy part about this is this is the first day got released is November 6th. So we are in that wheelhouse of really transitioning from hunting the bottlenecks into, in, in most portions of the Whitetails range, hunting areas of thicker cover. And that's why we talked about and prefaced this podcast with the Habitat podcast of how do you even create that? You know, hopefully in, when you do take your, your time off, uh, whether it's rutcation or just a few days along the weekend that you have to be able to get out, you're seeing what we're talking about from an observational standpoint of you're seeing deer starting to select areas of thick cover. Maybe if you opt to hunt in an area that's big open woods or big open fields, maybe you're not seeing the activity that you want to see. And then you change your course and, and hunting strategy and, and get into those areas of thick cover. And then you start seeing what, what we're talking about. It will encourage you to take what you learned in the Habitat habitat podcast and make even better hunting for the next year but from a strategy standpoint today we're going to be sharing a lot of tips and stories about how to hunt these defined bedding areas and kind of this spectrum if you will of um, bedding areas in, in a whole varying from a sanctuary all the way down to just one single treetop laid over in the woods and how deer might be using them at this time of the year it's funny because as we're preparing for this podcast, uh, we had examples of hunts and stories of how 
deer, does, and bucks. Uh, just one single treetop in the woods, especially in Kansas, where we've hunted with, with Richard Lee before, um, that treetop held deer. And it was like a safety, a refuge um, for, for does in the rut. And it's just that one little tree. But we can expand on that and, and bring to light this, this spectrum of bedding opportunities and sanctuaries to hunt during the rut. And that was kind of, you know, we looked at Kansas as being kind of when when your habitat management principles and, and mindset evolve over time. Um, and you look at what's not on the landscape that needs to be and how can you improve habitat but then in a way twist that to be a hunting strategy to where you're not only improving habitat but you're making your hunting better. The bedding thickets is one of those that just the basically the bedding areas is one of those that is just so fits that mold so well because we can improve habitat, we can increase more browse, we can increase the cover on on the property we can improve the the um, security not only for the deer but multitude of species but then once we figure out how the deer interact and use those it makes it a heck of a hunting location and to me uh, that's what's so exciting about bedding areas or we call bedding thickets if we're referring to the timber uh, because it doesn't take a lot of work um but it can create some incredible hunts, especially this time of year. They're dynamic <clears> in <throat> what they can offer for habitat and cover and forage opportunities. And that's why we implement them on – I don't. there's not a property I don't think that we've been to consultation-wise that said, oh, you're not getting any bedding or anything. It's all, you know, you're good already. It's like, no, they go into every single property plan and laid out specifically with correlation to food um, – other timber projects, road systems, to be able to offer this awesome bedding cover, security, but in a way and in a fashion that you can hunt it and utilize it. Well, thinking about it, um, of all the properties we've toured um, and written plans for, how many times do we go there and bedding thickets are in place or some sort of defined bedding area of optimal cover are in place and food plots aren't in place. Usually it's the opposite. A complete opposite. Food plots are in place, but the bedding is still kind of iffy. Now, they may have CRP or they may have some native grass plantings, but they almost never have defined bedding areas in the timber or managed bedding areas in open country. Right, and and most of the times the habitat within the property, when you get into outside of field edges, food plots, it's all the same. Yeah. Typically, it's just homogenous within the timbers, like, oh, a deer could bed down anywhere. Yep. So not only about this time rut being specific, but early season and late season, having these defined bedding areas, to me, is where you start from a hunting strategy. If you know where deer are bedding at or have a you know, very solid idea, can narrow it down to within, you know, let's say, this five-acre section or this six-acre section, Man, you're doing something. Like, Here's a question so for the easier. listeners is think of your property that you hunt and go, okay, where where are the food plots? Well, we can almost all point at a map and say these are the food plots. Uh-huh. Where are the bedding areas? <laughs> it's usually like a circular motion with a hand <laughs> yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 this, it, this chunk. 
Yeah. It's not like they're right here. It's not like here's the core part of it and then it spills out and it's right. this region. It's kind of you get the big finger that swirls around. Not the big finger, not the middle finger. Not the big, <laughs> but you get the yeah. one big finger and the they kind of just swirl it around and say map, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And and when you look at hunting the rut and the strategies to where you can really pinpoint where deer activity is, how many times do we hear the October lull? Or lockdown. Those areas, when you hear those two phrases, you don't go to hunt food plots typically. You try to get closer to bedding. Yeah. So if you want to improve your hunting success during those times and throughout the season, it's having defined bedding areas. Oh, no, no doubt. No question. And that's why it's like that's a part of every plan. And when you're talking about that, jog my memory of some research that QDMA had published or, or put out or shared, um, and it was talking about GPS collared bucks and their movement patterns throughout the rut. Of course, everyone knows that they can take a journey out from their home range, but even the they have basically focal areas within their home ranges, and those focal areas, as they researched and did more, they saw that bucks during the rut specifically when peak breeding was occurring in that region, focused so closely daylight activity on those focal areas. And what happened when they kind of got on foot and researched those areas, there are areas of thick cover that deer would prefer to bed down in. So if, if they were to chase bu- a doe That one buck regions, that stayed in the, in the clear cut? In the clear cut, yeah. He was there and only twice he came out of the clear cut. Yeah, it was, was 104 acres or yeah, something like that. Yeah, just over 104 acres. It was a bigger clear cut, but that buck didn't leave it but twice during daylight during hunting season or something like D- that? Correct. It was, it was something, I think it was three times, <clears throat> but a very, very small opportunity for someone to harvest him effectively. But what this other study was showing is basically – these bucks knew exactly where these does were going to be bedding based on the cover that does are going to choose to bed in during this time of the year, and that's where they focused their time at. Again, like they would chase a doe or go check another one, but they'd always it'd pretty much a beeline straight right back to those areas. It's like if you can identify, instead of doing this big swirly loop to do on a map, say this is where deer bed at, and be specific like pointing out a food plot on a map, now you've identified the places during the rut to be able to hunt. And that's the thing I think we mentioned in the Habitat podcast, and maybe even the, the podcast prior to bottlenecks is everyone throws their hands up in the air and says, I don't know, deer do whatever they want and go wherever they want during the rut. There's some truth to that, but they also have a plan and a mission of why they're going to certain select areas. And if you could identify that, I think – your chance of harvesting during the rut, especially a hitless buck or a buck that you don't even know. A new guy, just, yeah. like we've experienced, just showing up. Just, who are you? The, but we've the got other a good opportunity. Th- the thing about it is, too, like when you try, let's just say you're trying to define what's going on with that property and you look at what are the does doing. And I feel like we've shared this a lot, but we're going to pound this pound this into it's, it's, we're gonna you can't do it too much pound basically. sand here with this over and over and over it is basically saying that during this time of year late october or early november in typically the midwest and when peak when peak rut is sometime early to mid november um 
that does are seeking more cover to try and hide from the Bucks because they may not be receptive yet, and they're trying to stop being annoyed by every snot-nosed buck, basically. Mm-hmm. So therefore, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. The reaction to that is bucks start to find thick cover, and they start scent-checking it or sticking their nose around it, trying to find receptive does. And because of that, you could almost lay out a grid pattern or a connect-the-dot effect on your farm that has these bedding thickets to where you have most likely, I'm not going to say it, I would say based on our studies or visual um, surveys across the country that if you create these bedding thickets across your farm, you're probably going to have the best cover in the in the landscape um, unless you're in timber country where there's a lot of clear cuts. Uh, but for the most part, these bedding thickets are uh, these bedding areas are neglected where now you have deer bucks cruising and trying to scent check these bedding thickets to find receptive dose, but they're not going through the middle of it. This is the key part about it when it comes to hunting it. They're not busting through it, trying to crawl around, fight their way through the brush, jump over fall, fallen trees. They're trying to take the path of least resistance and use their nose and they're using their nose to find those receptive dose. So what does that tell us? They're going to be on the downwind side of the bedding thickets. Well, if you position your stand to where you can hunt the downwind side of those bedding thickets, but you leave a gap between your stand and the bedding area, there's a good chance you can bring that deer or have that deer come walking through between you and the, and there's no calling. There's no scent. There's no, there's nothing in there that's going to lead you to be exposed exposed and, and blowing the deer out of there the, if the, you're doing it right. The crazy thing is, is <clears throat> okay, so this whole idea of bedding area thicket may be new to you. Well, if it's new to you, there's likely a chance that's probably new or not existent on the radar for your neighbors. And if you're in an area that doesn't have quality thick cover in it, i.e. clear cuts, young pines regenerating, or uh, old field stands, whatever it may be, if you don't have areas of good cover and you create this, now you've got something that your neighbors don't have. And then if you create multiple, like you said earlier, linking them throughout the property using natural funnels, bottlenecks, pinch points, whatever it may be, link them together, now you've got a place where all the bucks from the outside want to come and check these areas too. And so you're offering something to the deer herd that your neighbors can't, or they can, excuse me, but they're probably not at this time. So you have a leg up on them habitat-wise and hunting-wise. One property in particular that comes to mind that was like slam dunk, no questions asked, this is going to be a killer spot. And we we broke this property down. So if you want to hear the the 100% absolute nitty-gritty details of it, go to Hunting the Back 40 with Ryan Kirby because that property is is 40 acres, and he has an incredible, um, oh gosh, natural traveled corridor with a large creek system that splits his property north and south. So what we did was, okay, identify that this is a natural travel corridor. He's able to access that. 
on a south wind undetected and then he'll be hunting pretty much on the banks of that creek and deer are going to be running east and west but then just out in front of him just a little bit further south upwind we created a clear cut so deer naturally already traveling east and west in a direction but now we gave them another resource a bedding area thicket to come and check and he's going to be hunting just off the banks and those deer are going to be bucks specifically this time of year are going to be between him and that bedding area thicket it's a slam dunk it's it's too easy it and really it, and is. once again it's it's habitat improvement it and co- hunting it, hunting strategy hunting success it comes down to for him putting in time at at that stand location and and another ones because there's multiple on his property but putting in time there and making a shot i i feel confident in that because um of the just his his overall area he's he's in a great area and it, and specifically that travel corridor is naturally going to bring deer in but he made that travel corridor even more attractive to bucks at this time of the year simply by offering the right cover because prior to that he's in bottom ground we talked about on that podcast it was going to be wide open no. zero opportunity for a doe to stop find the right cover and bed down now there's that opportunity. Well, take that with what we mentioned earlier and kind of what what really helped create the bedding thicket mindset was hunting in Kansas. Yeah. Wide open bottom ground, humongous cottonwoods, mulberries, hackberries scattered around, wide open. Yep. But during the rut or during this time of year, late October, early November, mid-November, um, those cottonwoods over time, a huge treetop blowout or – a tree blew over, and so there was like basically one little brush pile mm. in a river bottom that's mostly wide open, and the does would seek those out and hide in them. You'd see a doe coming from 150 yards away, and your stands over or close proximity to one of these treetops, and they'd just beeline it right to that treetop and get in it. Or, or they would bed right up against the side of a huge cottonwood. Yep, and sit there on alert watching, and any buck that showed up, they would move around the tree, mm-hmm. hunker down, do whatever they could to hide. And, and because of all that, it was like, ding, 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 we need to replicate this. Yeah, We need to go into those areas and recommend to clients and talk about on a podcast that if you're in an area that doesn't have this type of cover, create it because they're absolutely going to use it. And it's, it's too easy. And... T- and and the way you hunt these bedding areas, and this isn't just bedding thickets. This goes with any bedding area. You're hunting a clear cut, um, whatever big bedding area, CRP field. You don't let your scent blow across it. You no. set with the wind in the favor of the deer to where they're doing their natural travel patterns of using their nose to scent check a bedding area, and you're taking advantage of that. Yeah, for So sure. it's one of those... The best success you're going to have in hunting is when you let the deer do what they naturally do, do. what they naturally do, and use the wind and the thermals and the way scent blows across the land. Use it to to their advantage. Yep. You're not trying to, you're not putting yourself out there to where it's like everything is perfect. If a deer walks in, the wind's straight in my nose, and if he comes out, the wind's at his back, and it just doesn't make sense. They're not going to do that very often. And and we always hear of those instances when tons of hunters are out in the woods, and a deer just does something silly, or he runs a doe um, downwind of, and you're like, oh, he didn't smell me, this and that. Like, deer will make mistakes, but 
what we're talking about is hunting deer in like scenarios that they don't have to make mistakes where the the favor is on their side from a winding standpoint but really it's in your favor too and you can totally create these with bedding area thickets and so if you want to know how to do that be sure if you haven't listened to the habitat podcast this week do it because we talk about this in timber country and in open country how to create these areas What's one of those scenarios, or, or I guess not scenarios, stories, Adam, that immediately goes back in your mind to thinking of bedding hunting, areas? Bedding areas. Hunting bedding areas. So the Kansas one is a big one, hunting oh, bedding areas. And that really wasn't defined bedding areas. That was more bedding that was beds, actual beds, yeah. basically. Even though they weren't actual beds, it was like uh, they were bedding in a 20-foot circle. When I think of hunting, air quote, bedding areas... I always go back to hunting a big conservation area in college to where there was a lot of old clear cuts. And these clear cuts were the very best cover. Now, they weren't great. They were actually terrible really? um, cover as far as most of the trees by now were 20 foot tall, 15 foot tall. So there wasn't a lot of undergrowth. It was a while after a clear cut happened. Yeah, but it was much better than the closed canopy forest yeah, that yeah. was everywhere else. So... I think deer had really taken advantage of these clear cuts and since they were cut yep. and they started to grow up and they just got conditioned to using them. Right. And they were larger areas. Some of them are 20 acres or 10 acres. and um, But it was kind of like a <clears throat> every one of them on the, on the property was almost like a vacuum to where every deer in the area kind of evolved, oriented, like oriented and, and worked their way around the clear cut. They either right. came from it, were going to it, or were just you could just tell they were scent checking it and moving around it. That was that was like their safe space. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of an opener to me because I grew up in timber country where there wasn't defined bedding. There wasn't great bedding anywhere. And so that was the first time I'd actually seen a pattern that I'd heard deer uh, heard deer hunters talk about on TV. Right oh yeah, deer going course. from Food to cover, yeah, um, and they're going from cover to food. Well, what is that like? I don't know what that is. I, I'm in timber country where they bed where they eat, and yeah, they just don't have to move. They're very sporadic, and so that was kind of a okay bedding area, defined bedding area makes it a little easier. Yep. Well, having smaller defined bedding areas with more defined f- food plots or feeding areas. And more defined bottlenecks, you put that all together and you have it much easier. I mean, way easier. Yeah. One of the one of the stories. It only that, took me thirty one years to figure this <laughs> stuff out. One of the uh, stories that comes to mind for me was my granddad's farm. It was one hundred and fifteen acres, most of which was pasture, and then I would say probably thirty acres of crops on it. Um, maybe 10 acres of timber and a couple fence rows that split and divided the pasture and the crop ground. And there was one area though in the kind of on the adjacent to the, the barn lot that really didn't have much activity, uh, especially during November time frame, but sat out from one of the fence rows. <clears throat> and we, it was the old dog lot, the old dog pen. So on the, on this old, old farm, Anyhow, it had grown up. It was thick, had honeysuckle, some cedars, 
um, some gum trees, and it was just thick and nasty. Like dead smack middle of the When farm. you say gum, sweet gum or black gum? Both. Oh. Both. Oh, even better. Yes, the mix. And so it sat like right in the middle of the farm, surrounded by fields, and then timber was hundreds of yards away. But without question, that was one of those areas that, hey, deer came to these crop fields during the middle of the night, and without fail, every November – We'd at least my either my granddad would see a buck and a doe enter into this little dog lot, or a couple of times we pushed it and would bump them out. But it was just like those places of great cover that they just singled out and went to every single November. And it was like they chased them in and then just boom, squat and sat. You were some deer driving son of a gun, weren't you? Absolutely, we were. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Every story in the last four podcasts that you talked about Virginia has oh, has involved a man drive. It, it was funny because the first like two weeks, the gun season came in usually around the fifteenth or so for us in Virginia, and it stayed in till January third or fourth, fifth, whatever it was, the first Saturday in in January in in my area. Sometimes it's only two, or some counties it's only two weeks in Virginia, but for us it was like five. Six weeks long. Of rifle season. Rifle season. Shoo. So what we would do is sit during the rut, you know, mornings and evenings, and then during but, midday, if we had to check cow or something like that, we'd go to these little spots or pockets. It's like, yep. hey, go to the other side. Go to the go to the downwind side, and I'm just going to bump, bump it. And we had great success doing that. We did a lot of – we did a lot of – we called them deer drives. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of these days, you know, it, it because of the habitat stuff we do – and trying to add security, a deer drive isn't the best option on the farm. But every once in a while, I think, you know, it'd be fun to go out and do some deer drives again. Yeah. Because yep. you could flat it's, see it's gonna some It's going to be kind of like middle of the week, middle of the day. when Maybe not as many other hunters. <laughs> if you do bump one off the property, you you feel a little bit more safe. For us, but. yeah, deer drives were uh, the kind of the last weekend deal. So we had, mm-hmm. it's always been 10 days for me, yeah. um, where it would open on a Saturday and it would close on a Tuesday. Yeah. And opening weekend, we stayed in our stands. We didn't do anything crazy. The last weekend, All it was pepper. like depending on how many deer we were seeing, mm-hmm. we would we would probably go to like Sunday afternoon. We would do deer drives. Yeah. But Saturday, we may stay in the stand. Right. There were certain years where, like on Sunday of opening weekend, we were already doing deer drives. Oh, That's Lord. when we knew we weren't seeing many deer, and it yeah. was like, wow, we got to do something different. And uh, we saw a lot of deer doing deer drives. Never saw a big deer. Like They're smart. But we didn't have many big deer anyway. Like the It's funny because in Virginia, without fail, there's portions of the state where that's primarily what they do is, is deer drives and large drives with dogs. That first weekend, when bucks are singled and bedded down with does, a couple just I – mean, and there are – Definitely booners, but a couple really, really big deer always get killed opening weekend from that because we would always see in these deer drives, if it wasn't like this peak breeding time when they're singling out and and bedding in close proximity with these does and being locked down to them and holding tight, it was tough to kill them, even doing man drives when you had the wind in uh, the hunter's favor and not the pushers. So it was – 
it's it's funny to look back and see how you know how how you could have done things different or what. But um, for us at that time of the year, midday, especially these areas that were just like little pockets or islands in crop fields or pasture fields, that's where we would go and do them, and they were really successful. And, and one comes to mind is actually the first. It was opening day. We had this lease. We hardly ever leased ground, but we had this great lease in uh, the neighboring county. Big, I think it was like 700 acres uh, ag field, and or excuse me, ag farm. And <clears throat> there was like this big fence row, and then at the end of it, it was kind of like a light bulb. It had a big, like old abandoned pond. It just grown up and nasty around it. And we dropped my two uncles off in that area. They're going to go sit that afternoon in a stand. Um, and they just said, Hey, why don't you go on the other side of that? And I'll just walk through that real quick. Cause I mean, we're talking crop fields on both sides of it. No joke. A buck and a doe gets up. And I want to say, I can't remember specific. I think it was 16 or 17 point just this absolute giant comes out. And Michael did shoot it opening day doing that just hmm. singled out in this just tiny, I mean, less than one acre spot. Wow. Just singled out in the middle of a crop field. Boom. Jumps out and he shot it. I, I think like, of oh uh, my gosh. There was a a hunt in northern Missouri that we did where it would be like I'm ch- basically. Do you remember the place in Illinois? I think they call it Cliff Top, where it was a sinkhole, and then there was just trees growing around the sinkhole. Um, where we went with Justin yes. Adams for Pure yes, Air yes, Natives. Yes, 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 yes. There was a couple places like that where that's w- what I'm talking about. Okay, similar type of area where it was like a little low spot that was kind of yeah. like a few blow down trees. During the rut, you'd be walking out, and you're like, bows on your pack or whatever, and yep. you're just like, what in the world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. single them out in these areas, but that's that's where they feel comfortable. Oh, and, yeah. And you're nine times out of ten, you might not see a deer, but during the rut, they do put those and, and single them out into these specific areas. But that's that's one type of bedding area. But what we're talking about is creating them in timbered areas where that whole nine times out of ten thing – um, or that, excuse me, that one time out of 10 in these special isolated areas becomes the norm. It's eight times out of 10. That's where the bucks are coming to check. And we're talking like if they're not bedded down with does in estrus, we're talking daily routine kind of checking. Like this is what they do. These are the areas that they have to check. And typically they're going to do it during late morning, early afternoon situations or midday because that's where the does are. That's when they're bedded down in these areas. So it makes sense from a hunter standpoint to create them because it's not just a, a nighttime evening activity. It's during daylight hours that they're coming because they want to find the does in these areas bedded down. That Absolutely. occurs daylight time. It's so like, oh. what's the strategy involved in hunting bedding areas? To me, it is just downwind side. And if you can complement that with – a sh- let's say a shelf. So there's a couple stands on the Prairie Hollow property where you've got, you know, it's a long, narrow ridge. And there's a, a, sh- a shelf that runs across it. Put that bedding area above the shelf, hunt it with um, a wind that's going to you know, start at the top of the ridge, work its way down to the bottom. Those bucks are going to work along that shelf, scent checking these bedding areas, and you're sitting there waiting <clears throat> perfectly above that shelf. And the wind's in your favor and the deer's favor. And they're just going to do it. And and we say down one side, but if you're picturing a clear cut and you've got a big f- uh, food plot to the northeast and the wind's out of the 
the north, you may not want to hunt the very south part of that stand or south part of that clear cut because the deer may be coming in on the northeast side of that clear cut. Sure. But you're just basically not wanting your scent to blow over the bedding area. Yeah, that makes no sense at None. this time of the year. Because no. you want deer to be in there, they have to be in there for this to work. So you have to respect it as a security feature and access it so you're when you don't you're not bumping the deer out as you're approaching or you're not alerting them as they approach and get into the bedding area. You yeah. just want to be in a situation where the deer that are naturally going to scent check that, you're going to be able to harvest those deer. And you really, the thicker the better. Yeah. Where if it is a, let's just say it's a clear cut or, let's just say clear cut. We'll start with that. I almost say you, it can't be too thick. I can't think be, it can too be too thick? I think if you're thinking of like pickup sticks where Let, everything's just hinged. Okay, hinge cut. That's, that's that's too thick. Yeah, That's not what we're talking about. We're talking Vegetation. almost naturally occurring thick yes. where... They can't see 10 yards in front of them. Yeah. They really have to zigzag around or come all the way out and scent check it. Um, a lot of times when they are, when they do find a doe in one of these bedding areas, the doe, to get an advantage on the buck, she is going to, if, if he finds her in there, he's going to nudge her, bump her, and she's going to come outside of that bedding area to get basically – speed up hopefully outrun him a little bit get gain some distance between him and her and come hopefully on that downwind side but she's not going to necessarily stay in that thick cover the entire time he's bumping her again she's going to come out maybe round a corner of one of these bedding areas and maybe present a, a shot so let's say the does are in there the buck he doesn't come all the way downwind of this bedding area to check the entire thing before he enters don't give up because there's a good chance that through the chasing, she's going to pop out and then present a shot as he's in tow later on. I've Absolutely. seen that multiple times. Yep. Where and, you, you see it, him approaching, like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then he finds the doe in between you and him, and you're like, oh. Don't you – how it, many it times have you watched a buck? It seems like, a, for me, I'm thinking of a lot of stories where I see a good buck – and he's pushing a doe, or he finds a doe between from when I saw him to where he gets mm-hmm. within range, and he like just skirts out of the way. Yeah, happens a lot. Yeah, but if you can have thicker bedding, to where they really have to hunt around and f- to find these does, you have a better chance at seeing. <coughs> like for CRP, sure. as wonderful as it is for habitat and not having bare ground or disc ground through the winter months. It's still not great bedding just Correct. because we only have two or three years of growth and then we're required. A lot of times you got to bush hog it again so you don't get a lot of woody vegetation mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's it's not grazed, so it kind of gets um, rank. pretty rank to where it's almost too thick sometimes in grass. Um, it, it has pros and cons. Um the one of the worst, though, is that oftentimes a deer can see through it pretty pretty good ways. Yeah. So, one, one of the I I guess I'm going to challenge people in the, in this um, the, at the end of the podcast is if you're in an area that's got horrible timber, like you can see 100, 200 yards through the majority of your timber. Try dropping a couple trees out in front of your stand prior to the rut. And watch how quickly deer begin to utilize those areas as cover because of the physical obstruction, as in treetops, right there. Oh. It will work that quickly 
I think of a property in Ohio um, as we're touring around the farm. This was late. This was in, in March. Um, but you could see a long ways through the timber. It was big tulip poplars and there's a couple down trees. And it was like, guarantee there's deer around there. Like, oh, we'll, we'll get closer. So loop around. And sure enough, deer just, voomp, they just stand up right there in, in, the, in the middle of the treetop. But that was the only cover they had. Yeah. And we need to replicate this across the property in various locations. And, and I think if, if you're one of those people, you're like, yeah, I guess I do see them kind of associated with bedding in close proximity to these treetops, use that to your advantage. That's all we're talking about. We're just, we've just over time refined it down into these bedding area thickets and now have seen the success over hunting them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So now that we've done four podcasts in two days to discuss bedding areas and bottlenecks, if, if I, tomorrow afternoon, would you rather hunt a bottleneck or a bedding area on the Prairie Hollow property, because that's a that's a little fine print there. Um, because it still is early, I'm going with bottleneck. Yeah, and because the we don't have a, I, I hope people understand these bedding thickets are still work in progress for us as well. We're we've got a lot of them, but there's po- certain <coughs> pockets that we don't have them, and where there's we really want to go. Yeah. Is bottlenecks, yep. and that's the north side of the property because that's where the logging's not going on, and there's a good deer that just showed up. So we're going to hunt a bottleneck tomorrow night. Yep, and, and there's a there's a lot of other places that though we have hunted, and it's like we've done the work, we've done the habitat manipulation to see that these bedding area thickets are just dynamite at this time of the year. Absolutely, and absolutely. It's, it's wild to see, and I guess really encouraging though too to see that the work that you do is is utilized and it's extremely valuable to deer and to your hunting strategy so this is case in point right here can't hit it home drive it home further than work and replicate these veterinary thickets on your property they can be done anywhere absolutely there's no excuses. <laughs> no excuses. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Um, hopefully you're thinking of defined bedding areas in your place or in, on your farm, or you're thinking of ways you can cut down a few trees. Even right now, just going in the middle of the woods and dropping a couple just to create some instant cover. Or th- if you're in an area of, of really bad closed canopy forest, which a lot of people are. Yeah. so Or find it on public ground. Or find, find it this, on public find ground. Find these places on public ground. That's right. Anyway, we will catch you guys next week. See ya.